0: Right, welcome everyone to another episode of the Browns Note Podcast. This is Ryan Burns coming to you from Dog Pound West in Orange County, California. And this is episode 26 of the Browns Note Podcast. We are in week 3 of the 2015 NFL season and, uh, well, things have gotten obviously pretty interesting here in Browns World. The quarterback decision was made yesterday. We'll talk about that a good bit, as you can imagine. Uh, we'll talk about sort of what we've seen in terms of offense and defense for the first couple of weeks, things that need to get better, things that have been bright spots. And then uh, the second half of the podcast, we've got Chris Hansen, uh, a guest who is a very knowledgeable and trusted Raiders guy, one of my, uh, one of my tr- Twitter folks. And uh, Chris will have all sorts of good Raiders intel for you. He talks a, a lot about flip in that conversation, and uh, he talks a lot about the upcoming game. So we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a bit, but first... Let's talk Browns. Let's talk quarterbacks. Let's bring in my good man, Mr. Brendan Leister from the heart of Ohio. You can and should be following him at Brendan Leister on Twitter. While you're at it, please hit me at FTBL Sickness. What's up, Brendan? How's it going, man?
1: Not much. Just staying busy, coaching, grad school, teaching, you know, fifteen credit hours. Just everything's crazy right now, but you know, I'm excited to talk some Browns football. How are you doing?
0: I'm I'm good, and you may not believe this, but you still have more free time now than you ever will later in life. <laughs> Trust me. So, um, yeah, interesting week for us here uh, talking Browns obviously the big thing is the quarterback decision. And so let's let's deal with the elephant in the room and let's give everybody, you know, it, it's hard on Twitter and, and elsewhere because you can't really fully explain a position on something like this. And so uh, the way I would put it is, look, I think it's the right call for now. I, I think McCown is the right call for now for numerous reasons. But the number one reason for me is that I think it's the best thing for Johnny's development. And I want I want to be clear about that because I think, a lot of people th- hear this argument and then they attempt to rebut it with, but McCown, w- with some variation of, but McCown's terrible. We know what McCown is. There's no upside there. You know, he's going to turn it over just as much. We know what McCown is. Wh- why are we doing this? We need to see what Johnny is and all that. Okay. Well, number one, um, yes, we know what McCown is, and I concede all that stuff. He's a turnover prone, mediocre veteran. Let's just get that out of the way. Nobody is expecting a Rich Gannon MVP season from Josh McCown, okay? Out of the way. But what I see with Johnny is a guy who is not yet ready. He's a guy who, on the first day of camp, Joe Thomas has told us, and this is just a couple of months ago now, on the first day of camp, a camp in which Josh McCown got all the starters reps, or the bulk of the starters reps, a camp that Johnny Manziel missed the second half of, basically, with elbow tightness. You know, on the first day of that camp, Joe Thomas was stunned when Johnny was able to identify a mic. That's like, that's like taking your first step as an infant in terms of playing quarterback at the NFL level. And while I am absolutely thrilled, underline, highlight, bold that, thrilled with the progress we're seeing from Manziel so far, to me he still looks like a guy who doesn't quite know enough. He's, he's on the right track. There's just no question about that. The difference is night and day between last year and this year. But I see a guy whose fundamental knowledge base is not yet sufficient to last anywhere longer than a game or two as basically a backup quarterback. And I think – I honestly believe that given a couple more months on the trajectory he's currently on, I think that's going to change. I think there's a good chance he's going to be the better quarterback by the end of the season. I don't know that. Nobody knows that. But I, I'm not taking this move, and and if I watch Petten's comments and heard them correctly, I I thought he was – complimentary and and encouraging about Manziel. So I'm not taking this as we don't think Johnny can ever be the guy. I'm not taking this as we're not going to see Johnny again this year. In fact, I'll be stunned if we don't see him a good bit. And so to me, this isn't one of those panic things, but I totally understand why they're doing it. McCown goes out there the first drive of the season and does exactly what the offense is intended to do. He controls the ball for damn near a quarter with one drive, 17 plays, 90 yards against a defense that we now know is pretty damn good in the New York Jets, and Johnny went out there and didn't look overwhelmed, which is to his credit, but he sure as hell didn't move the football, and this week he didn't move it a- either. They, they made two big plays on the bombs to Benjamin, and other than that, the offense was pretty damn stagnant, and they had to get really conservative at times, and when they weren't conservative when they were trying to protect a lead, he was putting the ball on the ground, and so... While I am sympathetic to and persuaded by the argument that Manzel is going to learn more faster or whatever by being on the field than not, I simply disagree with it. I, I think it's a reasonable, valid argument. I'm not here to tell anybody that they're absolutely wrong. I disagree with it in his case. I think he needs a little more seasoning, um, but I'm encouraged by what I see. So that's where I'm at. I probably will have a few more additional comments. I'm sure I forgot to say something uh, that will deal with any of these questions. But the whole weight, yeah. The whole see what we've got thing, you don't do that week three with a team full of guys and a whole plan that you've spent the entire offseason fostering. You don't just ditch that plan because of a couple of exciting, fairly random and unrepeatable long touchdowns. So that's where I'm at. Your thoughts? Yeah,
1: I, I completely understand what you're saying. And, and I honestly, I agree with you. If I were in their shoes, it would be hard to bench McCown after what he did. Um, I know that his reputation over the years, you know, his track record says that he's a terrible quarterback, but at the same time, he won the job in camp. He was the better quarterback all throughout camp. You know, the team kind of handed him the job in the offseason
0: and said, you're our guy. We're putting all our faith in you. And let's be clear. The did that last year, wasn't it? Let's be clear, though. They did that. I mean, we have to remember the context in which that happened. The guy that we're also talking about in this discussion was abominable at the end of last season. Then he was in rehab. So the idea that they were just going to give Johnny Manziel a shot to be the quarterback in 2015 was never going to happen. And and it would have been unreasonable and irresponsible for them to not plan otherwise. So, I I mean, that's the part to me that I think people forget way too quickly.
1: Yeah. And and another key fact in this all that, you know, we've talked about before and a lot of people keep ignoring is, you know, the Bucks kind of handed McCown the keys last year. But then, you know, that team was awful. They had no offensive line, no defense.
0: Their offensive Hedgeford, coordinator got like, sick. Quit and, or yeah, something. he got sick.
1: Yeah, yeah. like, yeah. So, so, like, there was no support for him there. There was no O-line, no run game. You know, he's got these two big receivers outside, but whoop de do One of them was a rookie, and if you don't have time to get him the ball, it doesn't matter if you can't, you know, have efficient offense. Like, like you said – first drive of the season he drives it down the field 90 yards what was it 17 plays and i know that he got hurt you know making what some people call a stupid play you know jumping in the air trying to make a touchdown but i mean that's determination i mean at his age i don't think there's a lot of quarterbacks that would do that i know that some people might call it misguided i don't really have an opinion on it it's one play you know in a series it's an the quarterback can't do that obviously yeah but it's an instinct to try and get the touchdown that's all that is exactly you can't coach that out of a guy necessarily. I mean, you can tell him to take care of himself, but when he sees touchdown, and he runs. I mean, that's what a guy's going to do. Um, but, you know, he didn't do anything to lose the starting job. He ha- he wasn't turning the ball over. I mean, yeah, he fumbled on that play. He got obliterated, but he drove the team down the field. He was efficient. I haven't really seen Manziel be efficient in that way, I don't think, so far. You know, he's made plays here and there. He's shown flashes. He's improved. Tremendously since last year, he's a completely different quarterback from last year. He's prepared, flipped, and O'Connell have done an excellent job with him. I'm excited to see what they keep doing and what he keeps doing over the next few months, and then whenever he's forced back into play, whether that's week three or whether that's week 11. You know, whenever that is, but I'm it's I'm excited coming. to see Manziel again. Right, yeah, and, and exactly. that's the thing, it it it's coming.
0: coming. This panic about how we're not going to find out what we have, I think that's just totally contrived for a number of reasons. Number one, as you say, the extreme likelihood that we're going to see Manziel again. I mean, it took, what, 17 plays for McCown to get himself hurt? And he's got a history of getting himself hurt, so that's yep. at least semi-likely to happen. And then there's the added you know, po- possibility that Manziel's just going to continue to improve and, and eventually force them to put him back on the field. And then there's the added possibility. And I'd say likelihood that the Browns at some point are going to cease to view themselves as a legitimate contender this season. And we'll have an opportunity to see him. And, and maybe it'll be before that because as you're saying, and as I think, I think most of us agree that the, the improvement trajectory is dramatic and exciting and encouraging. And, and again, the reason i want the guy to to sit for a little bit longer is because i think it will benefit him more than getting beat up for 6 or 8 weeks and 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 i'm a bit of a hypocrite here because i do i think the situations in which you're going to throw a young quarterback out there um it it behooves it behooves a team to do so when they've got an offensive line that can protect him and we do when they've got a defense that can keep teams in the game and we do um but <clears throat> the kind, the way that that johnny has played Despite you know displaying all this improvement, you still see a guy who doesn't quite know how to um, protect the ball. You know he doesn't as as good as he is sometimes at feeling the rush and escaping it. At others, he's a little bit blind to some things that are coming. And I, I just look. I think a couple more months of watching what McCown does in terms of at the line, understanding what he's looking at, and the ability to just get the ball out and and keep efficiently moving the ball downfield. Which again, at that. I think you can see massive evidence of improvement from Manziel. I just don't think he's there yet. So I'll, I'll, be, I'll be hopeful that he gets a little bit more time to season. And uh, I just want to be, again, clear that I'm not here selling anyone on Josh McCown other than as a guy who has a much deeper knowledge base from which to operate an offense and uh, some experience with flip than does Manziel. And so to me, it makes sense to do it the way they're doing it. Um, but I'm excited for the next time we get to see him because that was an encouraging set of snaps. Uh, what I learned about Manziel is that the questions about whether his athleticism and playmaking ability will work at the NFL, to me, I, that that's over. You can't even question it anymore. If he's able to learn the position the way it appears he's learning the position, then his athleticism is more than sufficient. His arm is more than sufficient. His ability to make plays as the Manziel that we've always known and hoped could become an NFL quarterback is sufficient. That stuff will play at the NFL level. That's what we've learned, and so that's exciting. So the question is, can he take all that and still use it within a structure when it appears he's learning to do? So let's let's be excited about it. Let's not panic about it. There's plenty of time to see him play. He's under contract for two more years. He's 22 years old, and the rush to we must see what we have right now The coaches have a pretty damn good idea of what they have. If you listen to Petten's comments, he's extremely complimentary and supportive of Johnny. You may not want to believe that those are honest comments, but at that point, I have no reason to continue trying to persuade you. I think he's, from everything I can tell from Petten, he's pretty forthright about how he sees these things. You know, this idea that he didn't, you know, he didn't name McCown the starter at the outset or coming out of this this past week to me is nonsense he was obviously telling everybody that McCown was going to be the starter when he says things like McCown gives us the best chance to win this Sunday I believe he thinks that and frankly in this case I agree with him there might be a time in a few weeks where I don't but at the end of the day this this idea where we have to see him right now to me, there's just no, there's no basis in reality for that part. Do you have that kind of urgency about you need to be able to evaluate Manziel in a game situation this Sunday? Well, no, especially not after what he showed.
1: You know, they, they just got a chance to evaluate him in a game situation. I mean, like as Petten said, he said that is going to play itself out over time. You know, there will be situations where they'll be able to evaluate him in a game. So they're pretty confident that that time's going to come and it already did, and, you know, he showed encouraging signs. I think Petten was more complimentary of Manziel than he's ever been. You know, I mean, there's rumors that he didn't like him a whole lot before the draft, and he's never, you know, been the biggest fan, but it it seems like, you know, he's pretty encouraged right now, and I think he should be, and, you know, O'Connell and Flip seem to be in his corner, so as long as Manziel keeps taking care of what he needs to take care of, you know, that's that's all that matters. Off the field, just take it one day at a time. I mean, that's, that's just the way it is for him right now, you know?
0: That's so. the way it is for any young quarterback who isn't <laughs> Andrew Luck. You know, I mean, it, you've got young yeah. quarterbacks all over the league that we are still seeing. You know, look, we talked about it last week. As far as I was concerned, week one, he was—he looked better than the rest of the 2014 quarterbacks, despite all those warts. Now, those guys all looked pretty bad week one. You come back week two, Derek Carr throwing all over the Ravens, Teddy Bridgewater looking significantly better, Blake Bortles gets the Jags their first win. So those guys are coming along, and if you watch those three play, to me it's pretty clear the distinction in terms of the everything they learned because they were committed, prepared rookies. Uh, you can see that they're further along than Manzel is now, and that should be one hundred percent expected after the first season and, you know, immediate off season that he had. So I, th- I think we need to be patient with it, and I understand the excitement to see him, and I'm equally, if not more, excited to see him when we next get to. And uh, I suspect it won't be really all that long. But let's let's not spend the entire podcast talking about this. And by all means, hit us up if you have. You know, additional questions, and you want to keep arguing the same arguments with us. But um, I've had about enough of the arguments the past couple of days, so let's move on to, to what we saw. You know, in the Tennessee game, beyond just the quarterback, um, I, I saw some exciting things from the run game. It seemed like they had a little bit a little bit better idea of what they want to do in terms of um, just sort of getting Crowell into into the kinds of runs that he's comfortable executing. Again, you're running against a much lesser front seven in Tennessee than you were what is apparently a very good defense with the Jets. So let's talk about the offense. I mean, they obviously were not in the mood to throw it all over the field. They were protecting Manziel. They were protecting a lead, um, which was nice. I enjoy protecting a lead. And so they're obviously in the third quarter there. They get a little bit predictable, a little bit conservative. And frankly, I had no problem with any of that. You've got a young quarterback you're trying to make sure doesn't screw up the game um you've got guys that you should be confident in up front to block and you need you're built to be the kind of team that runs the ball down people's throat to protect a lead so you better figure out how to do it if you get one and so i i understood completely what they were doing i don't have any criticism for it and it they won the game by two touchdowns so to me that's one of those complaints that i just i failed to understand um but on the whole i thought the offense was pretty you know it was it was restricted, and and in part because they've got the young quarterback that they weren't going to allow, or that they don't feel can yet, run the entire offense. And so, um, I, I'd ask you what you saw, kind of specifically about the run game, but the offense as a whole, where you think we're going as we head into a third week with a with a you know, theoretically the starting quarterback that knows the offense better, and uh, and another opponent that can definitely give up some yards.
1: Um, I thought we saw you know. Flip wanted to keep the offense on schedule. He felt that they were getting a push in the run game. So he, you know, on the early downs, he stuck with the run game. And he wanted to get into third and manageable and, you know, have Manziel. You know, he didn't want Manziel to be in third and eight, third and, you know, just third and long in general. He wanted him to be in third and short so that, you know, he could hit, hit the short timing passes, which he's shown that he can do now. I mean, I, I feel like Manziel showed very good accuracy last week. And he, he had an idea of what he was looking at for sure um also on those shorter downs you know it's easier for him to use his legs and escape and get the first down than if it's on you know third and you know third and long so i think those things that was what they were trying to do i think with mccown under center we're going to see a lot more unpredictability um they're going to feel more more comfortable passing the ball on early downs um taking more chances just because mccown has that knowledge of you know the offense And even though McCown has shown that he'll turn the ball over at times, I just think that we'll see more efficient quarterback play just because of his knowledge of the offense, his experience. Um, You know, like we talked about last week, we talked about, you know, a young quarterback understanding game situation, not trying to press, not, you know, making a really bad play here and there that kind of turns the tide of the game, whether it be a fumble or an interception. I think McCown's going to understand those things a little better. So, I don't think we'll see the conservative play calling like, like we did last week, regardless of how the game goes. I just think that they want ball control offense, they want to play great defense, and they have a hell of a punter. So, oh. they want their special teams to be awesome, too. Yeah. So As, as an point. aside...
0: That Andy Lee trade looks phenomenal so far, and obviously we, we thought it was to begin with because, uh, you know, we've both seen Andy Lee plenty. That's, that's one of the great punters of the past couple of decades, and, and you saw it this weekend. He's flipping fields. He's immensely useful. I, I'm just so happy they did that because it's complementary to what they're obviously trying to achieve. You know, the Raiders are giving up 445 yards a game on offense. I know we're talking about two games, so these stats are a little skewed, but they gave up a ton to the Bengals and they had a shootout with the Ravens. So there's an opportunity here to get some points on the board, um, and I want to see that. I will tell you, if, if McCown goes out there and isn't able to put points on the board against a defense that is allowing everybody to score, obviously that's going to continue the discussion in the direction of, of finding out what they've got in Manziel. Um, and <laughs> again, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard not to talk too much about the quarterbacks because it's obviously a key topic, and, and you mentioned something that triggered a thought in my head. I, I will say... A couple of things we've seen from Manzel so far. Are, number one, that he he deals with the blitz pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, when they bring extra pressure, he knows what he's doing. He sees the hot and he gets it out and he's accurate with it, like you said. So his I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. Somebody tweeted them out yesterday, but his his numbers, you know, under pressure and under blitz are both pretty good. And then the other thing is what we're seeing with him is more. There are still occasions where he's bailing a little early and he's going to take off, but I, I think he's using his legs really judiciously. He's not trying to just you know first read and run that is not happening and I'm I'm really encouraged by that there were a couple of plays this week where he drifted out to the right and just made you know relatively short efficient completions but they were they were NFL plays you know what I mean He 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 got slightly mm-hmm. out of the pocket and found the guy down you know made first first downs out of it and I, I'm just really encouraged by by the fact that we're seeing him keep his eyes downfield, look for plays, and and of course the one thing we know Johnny will do is look way downfield. Like that's that's always something he's looking to do is score big. So I, I appreciate that he'll pull the trigger on that stuff, and and the more he can use his legs judiciously, he'll be able to find plays like that. But um, what what we're seeing in the run game, what what do you when you when you look at the way they used Crow and and Duke this past week, it seems to me that we're not going to find Duke in a workhorse role, right? It's clear to me that they're going to use Crow to sort of take those bruising carries and to, and to use those early down carries. And, and while they think Duke can do damage as a running back, it, it does seem to me that they're, they're using him as more of a, a change of pace, a specific threat package kind of guy. Is that, is that reasonable?
1: I think for now, I think they're bringing along Duke Johnson slowly because he's coming off the injury. You know, he missed most of training or most of the preseason, I should say, with that injury. I think actually most of training camp too. You know, he was injured with a hamstring, I think, and then he had the concussion. So I think they're just easing him in. I think once the season gets going, I think we'll see more and more of Duke and a little less of Crow. Um, But if they run the ball like they did on Sunday consistently, I think teams will have a hard time stopping the stopping the team as a whole just because of the defense that they show that they're capable of playing um, and, you know, the special teams as well. But um, I think that, you know, Crow is going to carry the ball mostly on the early downs, especially right now, as they've heard Duke along slowly. And then as the season goes on, Duke's load will, you know, increase tremendously, I think, especially in the pass game. Because I don't think up to this point, I don't think we've seen Duke catch any passes. So I think that their plan is to use him a lot in the pass game, but he's going to have to continue to improve in pass protection also for them yeah. to trust him on pass downs. That's a big part of it as well. You know, when they're on when they're on third down, they're not going to use Duke as much unless they can trust him in pass protection. So right. Right. that's a huge thing for young running backs. And um, I, I honestly haven't paid a ton of attention to his pass pro yet. But I didn't feel like he was out there on all the passing downs.
0: Oh, I'm sure he wasn't close to him. I'm sure so. he wasn't, and and there honestly there aren't that many passing downs, so yeah, uh, at least not for the Browns. You know they they only threw the ball 15 times, and so I think they obviously are telling you what they intend to be, um, and if they intend to be that, they're going to have to improve the run game because 3.8 to carry, uh, if you're a running team, to me that's not going to get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll find out, you know. Th- perhaps a bigger problem and it hasn't been made as much a stink of yet this year because you know they won the game and because there's the quarterback brouhaha going on but I think we have to be deeply concerned yet again about the run defense they're giving up 160 yards a game and while I would grant that in this past game um, it, as Petten said in his postgame remarks look we were willing to give up some ground yards for clock there and I get that in the second half they're protecting the lead they're gonna they're gonna let the opponent run when you have a three-point, when you have a three-touchdown lead, by all means, you know get your get your yards, you know, five at a time, running against us, and we'll just make sure you're not going to score quickly enough to catch up. Uh, and so I get that, but still, 160 yards a game isn't all that. And and there have been more than enough plays already that cause concern that we're seeing some of those same things that we've seen over and over from the Browns' defensive side of the ball. And I'm wondering what you're seeing. I I know that look there's a rookie in Danny Shelton in the middle, and there are times where he gets pushed around a little bit. He, look he's dealing with NFL double teams, and sometimes his pads get a little high, but by and large i've been pleased with what he's doing in the middle on the rundowns. So the big plays that I keep seeing, the ones that are bothering me again are those ones that are a little more outside, and as best I can tell, it's the product of a couple of things. guys getting over aggressive on their angles and over overrunning their pursuits at times. Um, Guys failing to just tackle, and obviously we've got a couple who have been particularly bad at that. I mean, Whitner's just killing me with the amount of times he's he's not tackling. It was better this week, but it still wasn't great. And I, I think the run fits on the outside. I know they're missing Solomon and all that, but look, this issue is far too recurring and far too important for me not to continue harping on it until they get it fixed. And so I'm wondering what you think is going on with the run defense. What do you see this week? And uh, do we have any hope for improvement?
1: Um, one thing that I, I saw that stood out to me because, um, you know, there was that long run, I think, by McCluster where he, you know, he went outside. I think it was on a stretch play. And um, what I saw on that play when I watched it, you know, live because I was actually at the game was Armani Bryant and Dante Witner both went to set the edge. So they both went outside. And it just opened up an alley for him to run through, and then it was a huge gain. You know, I don't know how many yards it was—maybe 40 or 50 yards. It seemed like. Um, so you know, the mis- there's some miscommunication going on. I noticed. So guys have to understand what gap they have or what role they have. You know, if Bryant is going outside, to set the edge. Whitner needs to run the alley inside, or he needs to fill. You know, that's the way it needs to be. They both can't go outside and open up a hole in the C gap um that's just unacceptable you know so those kind of things i noticed um another thing i just i don't think desmond bryant is very good in the run game at all i mean he is a very big weak link weak link he he uh is very
0: susceptible to down blocks
1: yeah this just uh, surprises dealing me. with him
0: this surprises me because yeah. he's 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 a good enough athlete and he's a strong enough guy that he should be better at this yeah He he just he has trouble dealing with down blocks. It looked to me like I I saw one play where he got
1: driven five yards off the ball. I mean he was like he was engaged at the center. He came off the snap okay, and then the guard down block, and he just got obliterated. Like he got pushed back five yards, and then they gained about eight or nine or ten just just because he couldn't control the gap. So, you know that's an issue. Um, You know they like to use him inside. They use they move him all over the place. I mean I wouldn't be surprised if offensive coordinators try to run at him sometimes just because of his you know his poor run defense and and that that's disappointing to me because you know i was a huge fan of him when they signed him as a free agent um i wrote a big film breakdown on draft grounds back then when they draft when they signed him because i was so excited um you know he still brings quite a bit as a pass rusher i think for that position but i mean he really just i don't think he gets it done as a run defender and that's an issue i think as the season goes on, I hope that we see more of John Hughes at that position because he can just—he can play anywhere on the line pretty much, and he's a much better run defender. And I mean, he's proved to be a capable pass rusher too. I think he had two sacks. Yeah, Hughes is, just a,
0: Hughes is just a good player to me. You know, that's yeah, one—that's one of those a very guys. Good that's one of those guys when they drafted him that everybody didn't really even know who he was, and they were disappointed. And he's turned out to be one of their better picks from that entire regime. I thought so. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you mentioned the sacks. Armani Bryant had two and a half, and obviously they got seven oh, yeah. They got seven of them against uh, the Titans. You know, to me, that's a product of a couple of things. The Titans' O-line is is not great. It was also banged up in this game. It lost Wormack during the game, et cetera. Um, and obviously, whatever Petten and O'Neal were doing in terms of uh, disguising coverages was working because Mariota looked confused. He looked tentative. He did not look ready to throw the ball often. You know what I mean? He was, he was holding the ball back Mm -hmm. there. and, And that to me is a product of not knowing what he's seeing or not being confident in what he's seeing. And so I don't know that they're going to be able to do that to all quarterbacks, but I do think they'll be able to do it to a lot of quarterbacks and, and they might be able to do it to another young quarterback this weekend in Derek Carr, though. I think Carr's got a lot more experience you know, understanding, um, you know, pro defenses and that sort of thing. Obviously, he's been watching film with a pro quarterback since he was a child. So um, I, I actually, I'm a bigger fan of Mariota than, than I am of Carr, but I do think Carr for the moment is, is more equipped to deal with that particular problem, I guess is the way I would put it. So I'm, I'm curious to see how they attack the Raiders. I mean, we've got a team coming in that is decidedly improved from the Raider team that the Browns beat last year, uh, in Cleveland. A, a repeat trip to Cleveland, but I think you're getting a different team. You talk about the weapons around this guy, and I do talk about this with Chris Hansen in that conversation that I had with him, so stick around for that. He'll tell you all about the weapons that are coming. I mean, you know about the big ones. Amari Cooper obviously is a big deal. They've got Crabtree on the outside who's looked really good these first couple games. If the, 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 the thing that scares me in this game is that they run it effectively with Latavius Murray outside by the tackles, and it's the left side that is their better offensive side of their offensive line. So they're going to run at Desmond Bryant, I'm sure, uh, based on what you're saying, based on what we've seen. And so that concerns me because this this Murray guy is a problem. He gets If he gets a full head of steam through a hole, it is over because he is huge and he is fast. And so that, to me, concerns me. They've got guys that can play at the tight end positions. And um, so it's going to be incumbent upon the defensive staff to get the rush going like they did last week against Tennessee
1: yeah I I completely agree um one thing that stood out in the Titans game was the way that they were disguising their blitzes um they were running some zone blitzes I think one of the first pass plays of the game they actually dropped off Randy Starks and Desmond Bryant and sent the uh you know the outside linebackers up the middle. I mean, it was only like a four-man pressure, but they had six at the line to start. You know, Danby was standing in the one A-gap. A Sheldon was standing in the, one, the other A-gap. So they had six guys across the board, and it was against an empty set by the Titans. So when there's six guys there and, you know, you only have five linemen and a quarterback, that completely like kills the, you know, the chances of pass protecting against that if they bring all six. So it confused them. You know, Starks takes a step up field, drops back. Kruger comes off the edge free, and he just drills Mariota. You know, they they kind of did that all game, just disguising the blitzes, disguising the coverages. I think they're going to try to do that again. To Carr, um, something we haven't really discussed that I think actually was a big factor in the game was the crowd noise. You know, Ken Wisenhut mentioned it after the game. I think that you know the the fans made an impact on the game. We were very loud. Like it was a very loud crowd and I think we did make an impact on the game. They had to call a couple timeouts. It seemed like they had trouble communicating at times and right. I think that really juiced up the Browns defense too. So I think Carr's gonna be in for a long day if if they can do the same things that they did last week. You know, I'm concerned about Amari Cooper. Um they definitely need to get the run defense short up when it comes to especially the communication breakdowns, because I think that's the biggest part of it when it comes to the edge setting yeah. and stuff like that. Well, you would think that okay would be you, you, would,
0: you would think that's the kind of thing that can get fixed with good coaching and smart players. Like if exactly. it's a, if if it's a communication issue, that can get fixed. Like if you're not just getting run over because you're physically inept or because your scheme is just all wrong, then it ought to be fixable. But, you know, <laughs> I feel like I've been saying that yeah. for an awful long time about the Browns run defense, so I will wait for the proof to show up in the pudding this time um yeah uh, just a couple more quick thoughts as you look at this game from an offensive standpoint how would you uh, you know how would you attack the Raiders they're they're giving up yards all over the place I don't know if you've seen too much but the bottom line is they're giving up tons of passing yardage um they're they're not super stout against the run and I'm just I'm curious uh, you know Chris when we talked and you'll hear it in the in the conversation he he suggests that the screen, da- screen game could be particularly damaging uh, against them because they have a lot of guys that like to pursue. But I'm, I'm curious, based on what you've seen these first two games, how you'd attack what's coming up. Well,
1: I'll be honest. I haven't had time to watch the Raiders, but I do have an understanding of you know their personnel – I mean, it seems like they have some talent up front, especially on the D-line. Isn't Khalil Mack actually playing defensive end now? Uh, You know, I think he's one of those
0: guys that they play where they play and whatever the media wants to Mm -hmm. call it, they call it. But, yeah, I think he's playing some of both.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, in in the secondary, you know, outside of Charles Woodson, it doesn't seem to me like they have a lot. So, um, you know, I think one thing that – we didn't really get to talk about the quarterbacks, but I think the big factor in this is, you know, I think McCown's going to spread the ball around as we with Manziel. We didn't see a ton of that. You know, I don't know if Hartline had a catch. Um, Barnage might've had one, you know, Benjamin got a few because he was, you know, getting deep. Manziel was looking for him deep, you know, the improvisation, you know, that was there because of Benjamin's speed and everything, but, I mean, we didn't see Hawkins get the ball like right. you know, like last year with Hoyer, for example. Or Gabriel. And I think that McCown's going to – yeah, exactly, Gabriel too. Mm-hmm. So, Hartline, Hawkins, Gabriel, you know, they have guys that can get open, they can create separation, they can catch the ball. You know, I think like Hoyer did last year, he spread the ball ar- around. I think McCown's going to be able to do that. You know, he showed it in the preseason. You know, Hartline was a big playmaker in the preseason. Then they come out with first two games, and he hasn't really done a lot. I think partly because McCown hasn't been out there. So I think that's one thing that's going to help them is, you know, the Raiders won't really know what to expect partly in the past game. I think because there was only one drive. with Yeah. McCown. There's no, there's not I enough mean, film
0: on it to make decisions. No doubt.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I think the run game, you know, I think they're going to be able to run on him. I would probably run away from Khalil max a lot of times just because he's such a good edge setter. Um, I mean, make a point to do that obviously when you can, but, um, I think that McCown will know to do that. He'll change the runs at the line of scrimmage. I'm sure that he'll have a lot of options because he has such control over the offense. I think that's something that kind of goes unnoticed sometimes or just people don't think about it, but a lot of times these NFL quarterbacks, they go to line with two or three plays. Based on what the defense gives them, they pick the play at the line. So, you know, That's something that maybe they weren't doing with Manziel that, you know, McCown might be able to do because he'll have control of the offense or more control, I should say. So I'm really interested to see that. I think they should be able to run on him. Um, As, you know, Chris mentioned with the screen game, you know, this might be a good week to get Duke Johnson some catches. Maybe get Andrew Hawkins some screens or Gabriel. You know, Gabriel is very explosive when he gets the ball in his hands and he hasn't really got the ball a ton. I think, you know, we saw it. I think this past week Mandel threw a screen to Gabriel. I don't know if it was this week or week one, but you know, he only gained like a yard on it or he might have lost a few, but he could have lost ten and he's just so fast and quick that he, you know, outrun the whole defense across the field. So um I mean we've seen the playmakers that they have and I think they'll do a better job of spreading the ball around this week. So I feel good about the Browns chances.
0: There we go. Uh, All right. So what I'm going to do here is put in the conversation with Chris Hansen, who will talk about the Raiders. And then after, you can stick around. Brendan and I will be back. We'll give our predictions, which of course we'll have the Browns winning uh, after this. All right. We are pleased to be joined now on the Browns Note podcast by my friend Christopher Hansen or Chris, as we know him, and you can follow him on Twitter, at Chris Hansen NFL. He's not the guy you have seen at times asking child predators to take a seat, but they do share a similar name, nor is he the owner of the soon-to-be, hopefully, Seattle Supersonics, Um, but maybe someday he'll own the Oakland Raiders. He's a staff writer at thesportsdaily.com, he's the owner of raidersblog.com, which I think, Chris, is where I originally found you, and he's also a contributor at Forbes. Chris, how's it going tonight, man? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing tonight? We're living, we're living. We uh, are right in the midst of the, uh, you know, the Johnny Manziel, Josh McCown fiasco in Brownsland. So, number one, let's just get the Raider side of that. I mean, what do you suppose sort of the view in the in the coaching room was? I mean, I know what I think. I my my position on this is pretty well established. I don't think he's quite ready. I'm rooting for him, and I want him to eventually be the guy. But it doesn't look to me like he's good enough to play better for any extended period of time than Josh McCown is, which is not the same thing, by the way. I have to keep repeating this, Chris. It's not the same <laughs> thing as saying that Josh McCown is particularly good. So, um, right. but, but what do you think from a defensive standpoint? If you're the Raiders and you're Jack Del Rio, the new coaching staff, I mean, obviously Johnny presents sort of a unique kind of threat. But beyond that, what do you think their view on that was?
2: Yeah, I think, I think they're, they would have been happier to see Johnny with the with that said, they would have been a little bit of afraid of just the kind of wild card that Johnny is. Um and, and that that kind of obviously I think with the Raiders defense has been struggling, that would be something that they would they would fear a little bit. But at the same time, um they would fear more a quarterback that can execute the offense because the Raiders defense is not very good, or at least it hasn't been very good. Ah, uh, through two games, I think everybody expected it to be a little bit better than it has been, but it it just has been pretty horrible. So, uh, definitely having a quarterback in there that can execute an offense, that alone I think is more concerning for the coaching staff than the, than the wild card that is Johnny Manziel.
0: Yeah, you know, you mentioned they're having a struggle on the defensive side of the ball, and. Because of the first two opponents, I think this is a particularly interesting conversation. You know, obviously, we've got a lot of familiarity with the Bengals and the Ravens. Um, but I've seen some things out of each of them this year that lead lead me to believe that they might be a little bit different. But what did you see from – what's the – you know, I, the first game was such a such a drubbing at the hands of the Bengals. And then the second game – you went out and you scored all day and went up and down the field on the Baltimore Ravens, which seems counterintuitive. So tell me what you've learned about the Raiders that's different from the teams of the past, say, year or two.
2: Well, I think the whole defensive philosophy is, is very different under Del Rio and, and defensive coordinator Ken Norton Jr. I mean, uh, the first week they, they didn't blitz at all. Uh, they kind of went with the rush for drop into coverage kind of uh, kind of thing. And then last week, they blitzed a ton but they didn't get there uh and that causes obviously we saw kind of what happened there in the sense that baltimore was able to to make a bunch of plays uh and and go down the field and score a bunch of points and the raiders ended up doing that a little bit bad last sunday but uh but certainly both uh, of those strategies have worked and in the past you know the passive raiders have done more blitzing with dennis allen more blitzing more off coverage um so I still think Del Rio and Norton are still kind of searching for what this defense is going to look like. And they keep saying, well, the pass rush is going to come around, but it hasn't yet. Uh, They keep saying, well, you know, the coverage is going to come around, but it hasn't yet. So I'm not sure what they, I think they're scrambling a little bit, just trying to figure out what do these guys do best? We haven't seen the best from uh, from Khalil Mack yet either. So I think that they're a little bit trying to figure out, trying to read these players. And, you know, that's, that's somewhat expected for a new coaching staff to do that so i think that's kind of where the defense has changed now offensively i think they started to find their groove a little bit last week, obviously scoring all the points and i think part of that was realizing uh, maybe this is run for offense so it's just a little bit of a strange um a little bit of strange kind of revelation over the last week or so of what this team might actually be
0: interesting and see the offensive side of the ball there are some things happening um that obviously Raiders fans are extremely excited about have every right to be Derek Carr looking real really solid these first couple of weeks even though you know I shouldn't go too far on the first week I still thought I saw things in that game that were promising it was just one of those games that got away from the team kind of early and frankly the Bengals were on fire so there wasn't a lot to be done but the maturation of Carr obviously critical to whatever you're going to do on offense tell me where he is along in the process at least by your estimation
2: well, the way that I look at Derek Carr is from a mental standpoint. Um, I don't think you could have a guy that's going to be further ahead, you know, in a second year. I think, as far as understanding what he needs to do when he goes out there, um, you know, reading defenses, all that stuff, he's learned a tremendous amount uh, on that sense. I think he's still he's still struggling a little bit with his with his accuracy at times and. Um, especially when he changes his, his platform, when he changes his feet, uh, throws off the back foot, we saw that in college a little bit, and he still kind of has that bad habit at times. And when we see that the accuracy definitely, uh, you know, becomes a problem, but when he has a pocket and he can step up into it, he knows where to go with the ball and he, he finds the open receivers. And, uh, we saw that on the, you know, when he got a little bit in the no huddle, he got confident in it and, uh, that really worked for the Raiders. So, um, you know, as far as where he's at, I think he's at that point where he's ready to take that next step and a lot of people think the game against the ravens was that next step that we've been looking for from Derek Carr. I'm not quite ready to go there because I saw some some of those accuracy issues early in the game, but certainly you can't argue with the results and you can't argue with what he was able to do at the end of the game. So, certainly uh promising sign for the for Carr and uh really I think now it's a, the, the just if he can keep te- keep going in the right direction, I think that's where you know, keep progressing because he's not quite there yet, but he's, he's so close. I think that's why the Raider nation is excited.
0: Well, and obviously you mentioned the one thing that impressed me the most was the drive at the end of the game and the touchdown to, to win it. To me, that's really where, I, I mean, look, I know it's cliche and we can pretend that there's no such thing as clutch and maybe there isn't, but that's to me where the guys that are really going to be threats make their money. And it's where they, it's where they separate themselves as the kind of guys we think about who you can win a Super Bowl with, even guys that have been inconsistent at times, your Eli Mannings and your Joe Flacco's. I think at least enough of us look at those kind of guys and think, well, if you're going to make those big plays at the end of games, we know you're not going to be, you know, you're not going to be quivering in your boots when it comes time to make the really big ones. And so uh, I think that's got to be encouraging and and equally as encouraging. Good Lord, Amari Cooper looks, to say the real thing would be an understatement. He looks like he's going to dominate the league as a rookie.
2: Yeah, he looks really impressive, and I think if you talk to anybody before the draft, I mean, just this guy is so polished, uh, just the way that he runs, runs his routes. Uh, I think a lot of people, for for whatever reason, underestimated his size and his speed um, just because he didn't fall into the, you know, classic big receiver or the classic, you know, small burner He doesn't receiver. look like a
0: power forward.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, but if you talk about, I mean, the guy's still six one uh and he's still really fast and then when you talk about the way he uh he can run routes it's just it's just crazy and and you know him and Carr they need a little extra work they even uh, admitted and, and talked openly about you know in the preseason they were struggling a little bit to get on the same page and said you know hey maybe we need a little extra work so they got together did a little extra work and you you know we're kind of seeing the fruits of that now and so yeah he looked really good um and you know who else looked really good Michael Crabtree has looked you know really impressive i think he's uh, obviously, he's playing for a contract, but uh, I think he's looked really impressive. He also had a 100-yard day alongside Cooper last Sunday, So, um, and he made some really impressive catches, uh, especially on that final drive. He had one that was really impressive, a toe touch at the sideline. So, you know, the Raiders' uh, offensive weapons, all of a sudden, you know, Carr's got the weapons around him, and that's part of the reason I thought they should have drafted Cooper, and, uh, you know, that worked out for them. But so, yeah, really, the offense is very... Uh, impressive, and I think that 's where uh, the browns obviously should be the most concerned is there 's a lot of weapons to cover, and we haven 't even talked about running back Latavius Murray or any of the tight ends we haven 't really got that you know, involved in the offense yet? So there, there's certainly a lot there that uh, that that you have to be uh, you know worried about as a as a defensive coach.
0: Well, Murray was sort of part of my next question. You know, I, I've the Raiders are one of those teams I follow fairly closely. I've got a bunch of friends who are, are Raiders fans. I grew up in California, you know, an hour from where they were playing when we were younger, and so you know, I, I watch almost every one of their games. And, and it seems to me that in recent years, not it seems to me it's. Been blatantly obvious to everyone that the offensive line has been more often than not a pretty big problem both in terms of pass protection and in terms of a consistent rushing attack there have been you know there have been streaks where they could really get the ball moving but then at other times it would just fall all to bits and I'm kind of wondering how you know it's the run game is really the question but the offensive line as a whole how's that all looking in the first two games
2: you know, it's been a, it's a little hit and miss. I mean, obviously, the first game they got blown out, and so just on some level, the the offensive line struggled a little bit, um, particularly the right side, which is Jamarcus Webb at right right guard and Austin Howard at right tackles. Particularly, those two guys really struggled against the Bengals, and and you know th- that's what you would expect from this line. Uh, those two guys are kind of the weaker, the weaker, weaker of the of the players, but I think they both rebound pretty well. Uh, in week two, especially Austin Howard. I think he rebounded really well. Um, and so you you look at the offensive line, but if you look at the left side, Donald Penn, uh, Gabe Jackson, and uh, and Rodney Hudson, I think that's really the strength um, of the line. And uh, you know who had a really impressive game was Jackson last week. I mean, he was just mowing people down in the run game. Uh, so I think you, you talk about, and the Raiders are very excited about him, by the way. And uh, And so you talk about, the offensive line as a whole, I think you know, still some some weaknesses, but certainly a more solid one through five than they've had uh, in in the past you know several years. So I think that in itself is that helps Carr, that helps Latavius Murray, and um, you know as those guys you know grow together, Mike Tice will you know try to mold those guys, and he does a pretty good job, I and mean, he's one of the most respected offensive line coaches around. So I think. The Raiders have to feel a little bit good about uh, about the offensive line, but the running game hasn't quite gotten going yet, so I think that's maybe something we might see this week, uh, especially well, considering Well, if it doesn't Browns, get going this week, y'all are in trouble. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, Browns haven't exactly been stopping the run, so uh, certainly something we could definitely see them shift to a little bit more this week, uh, where last week they were one of the most pass-happy teams. They might kind of shift it around a little bit this week.
0: I, I, I'm just telling you, I'd be sending Latavius Murray outside off-tackle Probably more to the right if I had my druthers, but if you're, the left side of your line is the stronger side, that's where I'd go. And honestly, you're going to, with that guy, he's going to, He's. I'm scared to the death of Latavius Murray in this game because he hits that hole and it's over. You need to get him before he's moving. And um, they've not been real adept at that so far. So that, that'll be interesting to watch, I agree. Before we switch over, um, you mentioned there are a couple of tight ends that I think are pretty good. I've always been a huge... Marcel Reese fan but is there one of those guys you think might particularly be uh, sort of a wild card this weekend that we ought to keep an eye on
2: yeah I think Clive Walford is the guy that the rookie um that you probably should keep an eye on he's yeah he's been working his way back into the into the rotation just because he missed some time with an injury in preseason and and so he's just kind of still working his way trying to get acclimated into the offense but his role keeps growing he's a big target kind of red zone weapon Third down weapon that uh that car hasn't quite had, and, and that has been a little bit of a, a struggle at times for him, so that's kind of why they brought him in. So I would look for him to be a little bit of a wild card, a guy that they work in a little bit more this week.
0: Interesting. See, I like both those guys, and, and I think uh, man, they're dangerous, and, and we have definitely struggled. Dansby's done a good job. Um, and and it's been kind of hit or miss with the other guys, but I'm I'm excited to see how the how the defense kind of molds to your attack because there are a bunch of guys to deal with, like you're saying, and it's it's nice to say that you have and to have confidence in a guy like Joe Hayden to just line up and quote unquote shut down an Amari Cooper who ought to be uh, having troubles with Joe Hayden, but we'll see what happens, and uh, a guy like. Crabtree, who I think is actually probably a pretty good matchup for Hayden. So I'll, I'll be curious to see how they do it. And then, like I say, they need to mind the middle in the rest of the pass game and then and then do their best to keep Murray from getting a full head of steam around the tackle. But before we talk about the defensive side of the ball, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about Flip a little bit, Coach John Filippo, who was the uh, – I believe he was the quarterback's coach, is that right, in Oakland last year? Yes, he was, yeah,
2: and and previous to that as well. But yeah, yes, for a while, right. right. Yeah.
0: And, and so – I guess my question first is sort of philosophical. What in the time that, you know, you work closely with the team and are closely enough that, that you have an idea what these guys are like, what makes them tick. What are the things that stood out to you, I guess, is what I would ask both in terms of philosophy and temperament uh, from Flip?
2: Well, one of the things about Flip is he's, he's just an intelligent guy. Um, you know, you, you, you'd see coaches and, and let's be honest, not all of them come off that way. Uh, but flip definitely came came off that way and and um when you talked football with him um he didn't give you answers that you know were dumbed down he he would talk football with you and i think that's one of the things i really enjoyed about about flip but i think philosophically if you talk about things philosophically with flip um he's one of the coaches that likes to give his quarterback uh let his quarterback do as much as possible at the line of scrimmage so that way they can be you know as adjusting to the defense as possible so uh, that was a philosophical thing that we went through uh last year with him and kind of talked to him a little bit about it because the Raiders had brought in Matt Schaub who had spent all those years with Gary Kubiak and if we know what's going on in Denver right now uh there's not so much of uh the Peyton Manning offensive uh antics at the line of scrimmage so part of that is Kubiak doesn't believe in that he believes kind of call the play Check to a couple
0: other different things, yeah, but run your motion um, and then throw the pass, right? Exactly. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. So,
2: Flip is a guy that's gonna he's gonna say, okay, you know, you know, you know the offense. If the defense goes out, comes out there and shows you a completely different look, and you know that what we've called is not something good, get out of it, get into something that's going to be good. And so he trusts his quarterback. He trusts his, and I think that, and we've talked, we've already talked a little bit about the Manziel and and mccown thing but that's a lot philosophically he he trusts the quarterback he tries to get the quarterback to you know make those adjustments so until he's fully comfortable that johnny can do that um that's part of the reason that it's going to be mccown just because philosophically he's he's wants that guy to be an intelligent guy at the line of scrimmage and make those adjustments and and frankly you know make him look good is what he the way he would say it um because you know we've all seen play calls and you're just like what happened there well, some of that is his coaches philosophically don't agree in adjusting. Now, sometimes the quarterback's not making those right adjustments and that where it can go kind of can go wrong. But uh, that's his that's what he believes in. So you're gonna see that. Um you're gonna see, you know, obviously I think you guys have already seen kind of what he he does like to he does like to run the ball. He you know, and uh he does like to take the the deep shots occasionally. So um, you know, I think that's kind of who he is as, as far as Philosophy philosophical but i think one of the things browns fans i mean if you haven't realized it already he's just a he's a great guy and he's a real smart football mind and and a guy that's you know he's he's gonna he's gonna get it out of guys too you i i didn't talk to anybody who didn't like coach flip so
0: well i'll tell you i've been you know it's it's been a fun day since today was quarterback announcement day on brown's twitter and so you know, it's fascinating to watch people talk about how the coaching staff is so stupid and how the progress for Manziel is so impressive, all in the same breath. And it's like, okay, well, are we not giving any of the credit for that to the coaching staff that is right. apparently so stupid? So I'll just tell you, I've I've been immensely impressed immediately with Flip. Um, O'Neal, I've got my questions about. I think he's a young guy. You know, he's the defensive coordinator that, that Pettin brought with him from – um, from Buffalo, but I I, I really like Petton. I really like Flip, and I I like O'Neal. I just I see too much inconsistency on that side of the ball, given the talent that I think they have. And so I just I'm I'm looking for improvement. And I'm not I'm not quite as impatient as I used to be. So frankly, I'm not in that this is the rush year phase. But it, you know, it seems to me that there are some parallels there with. What I hear a lot from not only my friends who are Raiders fans, but obviously I've got a timeline full of Raiders fans as well, and I'm kind of curious, everything I'm seeing when I watch these first two games, even and this includes what was not the prettiest of, of openers against the Bengals, but I see a team that's obviously substantially better and more talented. Um, In the Raiders. And even though there is a little bit of age as they've attempted to do that rebuilding process, to me, I don't really have a problem with how they've done it because it hasn't, you know, it hasn't, as best I can tell, hamstrung any kind of salary efforts and all that. What is your assessment of sort of the state of the franchise given the whole McKenzie era, the new switch to Del Rio? I mean, it seems like most of the Raiders fans I know are optimistic about all this. Um, but nobody was particularly excited about Del Rio, and I haven't heard too many too many people really getting excited over the past couple of years about McKenzie. So, how did we get to a place where all of a sudden we might think we're onto something?
2: You know, I, I think what it is is uh, you know they say talent kind of kind of cures all. Once you get talent, once you get once you start winning games with that talent, then it starts to kind of cure all the all the ills of of the past. And what we've seen is McKenzie, and yeah, he's taken his lumps. There's no doubt about that, but uh, what he's done is he's cleaned up uh, what was a, a really ugly salary cap situation, and uh, he's drafted well enough, uh, especially when he when the opportunity presents itself. I mean, yeah, you can criticize him for Hayden, but if you go back to that draft where he drafted DJ Hayden, uh, that draft doesn't look so great. Hot right now, um, there just wasn't a lot of good guys at the top. So, um, and you know, and he's he's still starting too. I mean, you got to you got to they're still giving him that opportunity but so you go through this whole progression you know they got mac and they got cooper um they got a guy like gabe jackson the left guard you know and they got him in the third round so they've gotten some players that have have really kind of brought the talent level of the team up uh bright young guys but they've also backfilled especially this offseason i think with uh younger free agents than they did in, in the years past guys that You know they're 27, but that's still 27, 28. Uh, Those are still guys that can play in the league uh, before they fall off a cliff. And so I think that's what you what you're seeing now is just a team that they have some talent, they have some more depth. Uh, The young guys aren't pushed to play so early that they're they're in a bad position. So when you talk about all those things, I think that's a big part of it. And then you talk about Del Rio, you know, the culture of the locker room is important. So I think both those kind of moves have have pushed the Raiders into a, a you know a better uh you know state right now um i still have some long-term concerns about how mckenzie and del rio are going to coexist because del rio was not mckenzie's first choice um <laughs> but, so but
0: one would think there'd be an improved accountability is sort of the way i've always thought of del rio is he's not a, he's not a cutting edge head, head coach he's an old school head coach who believes in the very fundamental stuff. I mean, he's creative as a defensive mind. I, I don't mean to de- get to denigrate him as a schematic coach. I just mean from a, you know, a philosophical team building and, and team motivating perspective. He's, he's always struck me as kind of an old school guy.
2: Yeah, he's definitely, he definitely is. I mean, he's gonna, he's gonna talk to the, you know, the veterans. Um, he's going to listen to them. I think uh, one of the things what, you know, that, that didn't happen in the past and we, just that the, the veterans didn't feel like they had a voice or that the coaches were, were willing to listen to what they were saying. And that for some of the team leaders, that kind of that kind of rubbed him the wrong way about Dennis Allen. And and that doesn't mean Dennis Allen wasn't a good football mind either. But uh you know, leadership, I think that position, the head coach, leadership's almost more important. And being a former linebacker and and having uh you know that playing experience and he brought in a, a coaching staff that's rich in playing experience. You know, for the Raiders, I mean, I'm not saying that's always a good thing or 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 it's a necessary thing, but for the Raiders and where they were at with all the young players and a culture uh, of losing, I think they needed that. I think that's where Del Rio is really having success, turning things around, is just uh, creating the culture where, okay, this is not a team that, that we're not we're changing things, and we've heard that a lot in Raider Nation, but he's actually doing it. So I think that's where it really changes changes things. But I just. I do have some concerns is when anytime the GM and the HUD coach are somewhat hired, you know, separately and not together, it gets a little bit interesting, you know, long-term. But, uh, you know, hey, winning sometimes cures those things, like I said. So we'll see how it goes.
0: Yep, yep, interesting. Okay, let's real, talk, real quickly talk a little uh, defense. You know, I've got a couple of player-specific questions from some Twitter fans. I won't call them fans because they're just people who – correspond with us um here we go <laughs> tj Kerry is definitely going to take one to the house this weekend to confuse me right this is an ohio bobcat asking about uh asking about tj carey who is the guy that at least as i understand it is um what most raiders fans consider their their best corner is that fair at this point
2: uh yeah i think that's fair i mean i think right now uh that's that's his role he's one of the starting two guys outside um and he's the guy that oftentimes will kind of rotate down into the slot sometimes. You know, the Raiders do different things there. Sometimes Woodson will be there or something like that. But he's the guy that they trust to do a lot of different things. Um, so, yeah, he's the number one guy. And uh, he's he's played really well. I mean, if we go back to last year and this year. He's played really well. He had a little bit of a, a down game last week. He had a couple coverage lapses. But overall, he's been a really solid corner for the Raiders so far. And they, they've been really happy with him.
0: And do they play it where they shadow him, or do they just keep him on a side?
2: No, the the Raiders typically keep their guys on a side. Although I noticed last week, um, I noticed last week they started to do a little shadowing with um uh, when Steve Smith was uh, going all over going crazy. <laughs> yeah, so they, they, Steve will they, do that to
0: people. <laughs>
2: yeah, he will, and he did it last week. But so they, you know, typically it's going to be a side. But uh, but this coaching staff has shown that they will adjust a little bit. Um, you know they didn't blitz the first week. They blitzed a lot last week. So they're gonna they're trying to figure out these players a little bit. Uh, but they will kind of make adjustments at the at the half, especially if they see something not quite going going the way that they hoped. And I've got another
0: question here about Khalil Mack, who apparently someone doesn't see the Khalil Mack hype. I will tell you that I see the Khalil Mack hype. Um, loved him coming out of Buffalo. Loved his performance last year as a rookie. Um, to me, looked like a guy who was on the superstar trajectory. And uh, it seemed like there were plenty of people who agreed with that. What have you seen so far from Khalil Mack?
2: You know, I think Mack has, he's kind of had this quiet start a little bit. That doesn't mean he hasn't been making an impact, but, and then the biggest thing, if you're not sold on Mack, it's just, you're not sold on him as a pass rusher. Um, It's not that you're not sold on him as a good player, because if you watch him, I don't think anybody could say that. Anybody watches him sees he's, he's, he's a good player. He's going to be a really good player. Um I think where you you can see glimpses of that stardom as a pass rusher but you know he's had a little bit of a a struggle getting to the quarterback and you know we you talk a lot about pass rushers and yeah there's some of these speed rushers that can get to the get to the quarterback really quick but the other guys that it's all about you know their moves and setting it up and uh you know sometimes the back end a little bit forcing the quarterback to hold the ball a little longer so there's a lot of factors that go into him not getting sacks I think he'll be fine um, but I also think this coaching staff, as I mentioned before, they're just learning how to use these players a little bit, uh, what they do best. They're still kind of in that process as a new coaching staff. And, and part of that is Mac. And, and one of the things they wanted to do was, you know, yeah, Mac, they want to free him up, but uh, he also frees so many other players up and, and the Raiders defensive line has been very good. Um, even, even in the first game, they were pretty solid. So, um, you know, I think he's really helped Dan Williams. He's really helped justin tuck and and some of those other guys there, so um, and no one's really too worried about Mac. I think everybody thinks Mac is going to be a very, very, very good player, if not a superstar, in this league. It's
0: just whether those sacks come around uh, sooner or later. Very good. One one more, you know, just on the field question. Um, If you're a team like the Browns who's constructed to play, you know, ball control, power run game, play action, deep shot football with some screen game thrown in there, um, I'm curious how you would attack the Raiders.
2: Uh, Well, that's interesting because uh, Raiders haven't, they've been pretty good against the run. I mean, the, the, the Del Rio hallmark is they don't want to be, let anybody run on them. Um, but they've had a lot of issues tackling in space. So if you're talking about screen game, I think that could really burn them because the, the secondary has not done a good job defeating blocks and, and getting guys on the ground in space. So I think that's where you could really exploit the the Raiders defense. Um, but they, you know, and the other thing that they preach is sort of not allowing the big play. They're kind of a, uh, I hate the cliche, but the bend don't break philosophy. And that that's kind of what they, what they kind of preach but they've given up a ton of big plays. But part of that, like I said, it's not that they're catching them over their head so much as they're catching it and running past guys. So I would run a lot of a lot of short stuff, a lot of motion. I try to get three-on-two matchups outside, which we've seen uh, happen a lot against the Raiders, unfortunately. Um, just the, they don't get the right matchups out there, um, and, and that, that causes problems when they try to tackle. So uh, that's kind of how I'd try to do it. Uh, run a bunch of short stuff, which I think – really lends itself right into McCown's wheelhouse, to be honest with you. So, um, you know, no doubt he might struggle a little bit on the deeper throws, but uh, I think that really is where he's going to thrive and and where a guy like Travis Benjamin could be really uh, of a threat um, because I'm not sure the Raiders can can get him on the ground, especially, um, you know, if they linebackers, I think the Raiders are a really big weakness. So, um, you know, move guys around, run crossers and and, uh, run screens and try to attack them that way. That's kind of what I would do.
0: Yep, the short stuff is definitely the way they looked inclined against the Jets when they were running McCown out there, and and some of those things you talked about with respect to, uh, to Flip. You know, having a lot of trust in his quarterback to make the right reads and the, and the and the right checks and adjustments at the line that was really on display in that first drive. I mean, 17 plays and 90 yards, and you're thinking, okay, they've got an idea of what they're doing here against this defense in terms of rhythm, in terms of ball control, and uh, and it was promising. So I'm at least hopeful that we'll see some more of that. I would hope that against a defense that's been a little less stingy than the Jets, they'd take a few more shots. Um, and uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of which of both of these teams shows up, right? Because both teams have had a less than ideal performance, and then both teams have had a pretty darn good performance. So I'm, I'm ready to let you go with one final caveat. i got to at least ask you how you're feeling. You don't have to give me a total score prediction or whatever, but as you head into this thing, what do you expect to see coming out of it?
2: Oh man, well, you know, given that we've seen a good game and a bad game from kind of both teams, um and kind of the way that these teams are built, I you know, I expect a close ball game. I, I don't think either team is going to be able to run away with it by any any stretch of the imagination, but uh you know, it's one of those things that when it's close, I always usually say a home team uh usually give them a little bit of the edge. So, I say the Browns probably have the edge, but uh if Carr comes out on fire again, um, they, the Raiders' offense is 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 rolling like they were last week. I think it'll be, that would be really hard on the Browns. So we're gonna have to see a little bit, but uh, so I, you know, but I don't think it's gonna be a real high scoring. We'll probably be in the 20s for both teams, somewhere, somewhere in the low 20s for both teams. That's kind of what I'm what I'm thinking.
0: Yeah, if there's a lot of scoring, I'm going to be deeply concerned that we'll be on the wrong end of it on my side of things. So I'll uh, I'll look forward to hopefully a game where both defenses show their wares. But uh, anyway, that is Chris Hansen, everybody. You can follow him at ChrisHansenNFL. He is a staff writer at TheSportsDaily.com and the owner of RaidersBlog.com. He's also a contributor at Forbes. He is a, an extremely knowledgeable Raiders guy, a very friendly dude, as, uh, as I was fortunate enough to meet him up at a game a couple years back, and uh, it was good having him here on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me, Chris. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. All right, that was Chris Hansen, our old friend. Please follow him, as I said, at Chris Hansen ChrisHansenNFL. Uh, friendly dude. He will always be there to talk football and, and Raiders with you. So, Brendan... Now that we are uh, almost complete here, it is time for our official prediction segment. I'll go first this time since I keep putting you on the spot. I I think it's going to be a a good, close football game. I'm, I'm hoping to see a little less sloppiness from the Browns, a little more consistency on offense efficiency at the quarterback spot, as you said, because if we're not going to get efficiency and ball protection out of out of Josh McCown, then at this juncture, it's going to be hard to continue selling folks that he ought to be out there. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the D to shore up the run game stuff. I'm I I love what you were saying about the home crowd. I think it was a factor this weekend. I think you have to look at some of the changes they've made in the stadium as beneficial toward keeping that noise in. So I think that's part of it. And then I, I just I think they play well at home. You know they're they're they get jazzed up at home, and and I'm I think the team at least even if the crowd won't be I think the team will be excited to have what they expected to be their starting quarterback back out there. And so I'm gonna go with the Browns with a score of let's call it. You know the Raiders are giving up enough points. Let's call it twenty-seven to twenty-three Browns.
1: Okay, I'm gonna go with twenty-four to twenty Browns.
0: All right, so we're seeing basically the same game. It'll be fun. I'm uh, I'm disappointed that I can't get out there. This was a game that I was planning all all off season to attend, and some some work stuff got moved around to where I just really can't make it happen this week. So disappointed. I hope everybody that goes to the game has a blast, eats their dog biscuits, and comes home with a victory. If by chance you are a SoCal Browns fan or a Browns fan coming to SoCal next weekend. For, uh, for the Chargers game, please hit me up on Twitter, if you would, at FTBL Sickness. We should have a tailgate there. It should be a lot of fun and uh, always, always exciting and fun to meet new folks and new Browns fans. So that is episode 26 of the Browns Note podcast. My friend Brendan Leister, you can and should be following at Brendan Leister on Twitter. You can follow me, Ryan Burns, at FTBL Sickness. We'll be back again next week after, hopefully, another Browns victory. Woof.